A guest on the Ham and Hyde podcast this week is John Plews, who, with his wife Katie, runs the theatre upstairs at the Gatehouse in Highgate, as well as Ovation Productions. He's also chair of SIT, the Society of Independent Theatres. We spoke on August 21st when the financial situation was precarious for many theatres due to the gradually lifting lockdown measures and when news was eagerly awaited of grants from the government's Culture Recovery Fund. Oh, you want my life history? Well, if you've got a three-hour podcast, I can um, do that. I won't go back that far. Um, I, I started back when I was in my teens. Oddly enough, at school, I was never into drama or anything. Um, but uh, my, my mother was a great theatre uh, fan and a performer. Um, and I went into theatre. My fir- very first job was an a- a- ASM, um, assistant stage manager, and most people start like that. Uh, and then I went to Lambda, the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, uh, which is probably one of the top three drama schools in London. I mean, all the rest will completely disagree, but, you know, Lambda, Rada and Central are, are sometimes recognised. Um, and I went to Lambda and did the, what they in those days called the technical theatre course, which um, I didn't, I, I realised um, long before in my teens that I was never going to make it as an actor. Um, I, uh, and did, you so, try? did you try as an actor earlier on? Uh, yes, and we, I, I tend to try and forget about that instantly. I'm, I'm a performer. I mean, I, I have worked cabaret and um, comedy for a long, long time. Um, but I can't, and I can, I, I have walked out in front of a couple of thousand people as me. Mm. And there's no way in the world I can walk out in front of 20 people as someone else, <laughs> which is what an acting skills are all about. Um, and so, and, and there is quite a difference between being an actor and being a performer. Uh, and I definitely thought, no, acting is not for me. Um, so, and, and I got quite interested in, in what was going on backstage. And so the tech theater course at Lambda, which was wonderful, um, uh, taught me all about stage management, about sound, about lighting, design, and everything like that. And then I spent three years at the Theatre Royal in Windsor as stage manager there. Oh, well. And and in those in those days, we had to be prepared to take on acting roles because those are in the days of uh, when stage management. If there was a one line part, stage manager was called upon. Uh, my most uh, my my most famous um, appearance at the Theatre Royal Windsor was in the production of Twelfth Night, where I played the second officer and had one line, I arrest the Antonio at the court of Count Orsino. And you see, 50 years on, I can still remember it. Um, But uh, so I went from Windsor, uh, oddly enough, from Windsor, I went to sea um, and spent 10 years in the cruise industry, um, uh, entertaining people and producing shows on cruise ships uh, around the world, uh, including three years on board the Kiwi 2, which at the which at the time was um, probably the most famous ship um, after the Titanic. Uh, and that's where I met my wife. Uh, she was also working on the ship. Uh, and we have been married over 40-ish years. And uh, just to prove that shipboard romances will last. That's, that's a, a long, well, I was going to say that's a long stint. I don't mean the marriage. I mean, 10 years on the, on the cruises is a good stint. Yeah. You must have enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, you, the first trip I ever did was to Australia, uh, an agent, I, I, I was working as an entertainer, an agent called me and said, are you free for the next six weeks? Yes, I am. Um, there's a boat leaving Southampton next week, get on it. Um, and suddenly I, I'm, I'm in Australia. Um, and I thought, wow, this is okay, I'm seeing the world. Uh, and so I, I stayed and um, I worked for Keonard and a couple of other lines. Uh, and then when, when our, um, we, we got together, my wife and I, and I came back to UK and settled down, all that stuff. Um, and we formed Ovation, which is our production company in 1985. Um, and we started off just as a production company. This was quite a few years before we started the theater. And I suppose what happened was we got a little bit fed up with you know touring and, and rushing around the country doing shows in all sorts of places. Mm. So uh, what, what, we, was your, what was your wife's role on the Katie? Yeah, on the ship. Well, mm. I have I always have great delight in saying that people always ask me that, and I say she was a dealer, and oh horror! Um, and of course, she worked in the casino. 
um, and um, and right. they'll cut. Um, so, uh, but uh, when she, she joined me in the production company, and and what we started doing then, and what we really do now, she's a producer and I'm a director, uh, and it works quite well, and we've worked ever since. Um, we started the production company in '85, Ovation, yeah. and by the time the nineties came along, we thought we need somewhere to do all this without having to travel around the country. And so we looked at various buildings and the gatehouse, the upstairs portion was derelict um, in, in, at that time. And we looked at that and thought, what a lovely place because we live, we, we, we sort of live in what estate agents call Highgate borders. So we're not actually in the village. Um, uh, um, but we knew about the gatehouse, um, and oddly enough, I, I played in a in a band at a wedding reception there in the seventies or something. I can't remember, but I, we did know about the place. But well, it, it's a great it, location, isn't it? Well, it's a lovely location. We love Highgate. We love the village, um, and and our daughters have grown up here. You know, uh, so it was an ideal place for us to to find a home. We did look at other places. There's a a disused opera house in Crouch End, which is now a fitness centre. Um, most bizarre. It, it, when we looked at it, it, the front of it was a chemist shop and the back of it was just a derelict. You could just about see where the stage was uh, from the 1920s. Um, uh, and um, anyway, we, we, we looked around and we found the gatehouse and we started. At first off, we, we looked at it in the late 80s when it was boarded up and we thought at the time we didn't really want to run a pub as well so we had to wait for someone to come along and take the pub and luckily for us it was Weatherspoons because um, at the time Weatherspoons didn't want to run a theatre they had no interest in the upstairs room uh, at all and it took a lot of negotiation uh, the story is quite well known it's sort of you know been around for a while but we um we negotiated with weatherspoons and also to change the license and all that sort of thing um and eventually we opened in 1997 well yeah what a success story what kind of um well what kind of shows did you start um putting on once you got it um well bizarrely enough <laughs> when we, we we had to do a lot of building work in 97 um and it was derelict. I mean, it had lain derelict. It, it, they, they closed it up or boarded it up in 1988. Um, and so it was in a terrible state, the upstairs. I mean, the, the Weatherspoons had already opened the pub. They opened, I think, in 94. Um, uh, but they had to do a lot of work to the pub as well. And we, uh, we did a lot of work. And as we were getting closer to when we thought we would open, we realized we didn't actually have a show. Um, so the, the, first, the very first show was a single night of cabaret. And we invited a lot of our friends along, come and look at our new theater. <laughs> we didn't actually, um, some of the seats were missing. They, they turned up at the interval. Uh, but it was a fun night. And then for the first few nights, we had to do cabaret nights. We realized, oh, we haven't got a show. And so the first play opened on the 13th of January, 98. Uh, so over the Christmas period that year, we, um, we put on cabaret shows. The first play we opened was 1998, the 13th of January, and it was called Not A Game For Boys. Um, and then from then on, we decided we would like a, um, a program, a mixture of drama and musicals. I mean, Katie and I are both big fans of musicals. We love our musicals. And I think that... I, I'd worked in years beforehand in smaller theatres and I just loved the idea of fringe, whatever you want to call them, fringe, pub theatres, independent theatres, um, and where you can get right up close to the, you know, the audience can be very close to the performers and we can take big musicals, what, what's generally thought of as big musicals, and put them on in a small space. I mean, this uh, Christmas gone just, I don't know, six, seven months ago, uh, we we produced 42nd Street oh, and that right. is one of the biggest musicals around you know when it was in the West End they had a cast of 54 or something and 30 in the orchestra and of course we did it with uh, with a dozen people and a dozen wonderful actors actors come singer come dancers um, and uh, and six in the band uh, and that's the sort of show and I, I, I'm sure a lot of your listeners will 
have been to our shows and seen anything goes or top hat um singing in the rain we did and we we flooded the place every night and everyone was a gas <laughs> when the, uh, uh, towards the end it's the last song in act one when the lead the lead sings singing in the rain and halfway through the heavens open uh, and everyone wow <laughs> raining inside this tiny theater uh so that was um that's the sort of thing we wanted to do really from the outset and i think when we when we opened the theatre, we looked around at the other small theatres and nearly all of them promised new writing. That's it. If you look, and even now, you look at a lot of fringe theatres and we promote new writing, full stop. And we thought, well, we wanted something a little bit different. So our artistic policy, and it's, it's up on our website for all to see, is that we really encourage young and new directors and producers and designers and um you know all the people that the, what we in the industry call the creatives and we we want a home for young people coming out of drama school actors as well of course we need actors but we put the emphasis on on new and young producers and directors and even if they were producing a you know a piece of shakespeare or a well-written established play we still encourage them because we thought um quite often with fringe theaters if you uh if you put on a, a new piece of writing the critics and the people who generally who, like yourself who talk about theater they will hone in on the writing and the poor mm -hmm. old director who's probably you know one of his first or her first plays um gets ignored um so that's really our artistic policy is to, and we've had so many producers and directors uh, who who started off at the gatehouse uh, and we're always looking for, um, you know, young, I mean, all right, I, I say that and I'm an ancient person and I still direct <laughs> one play or one musical a year. Uh, and, but we are really looking for younger people. To that's interesting. And I, I, I guess that through um, allowing, you know, Shakespeare or established musicals and things, it gives them the chance to shine, but also to, to get an audience in. It must be sometimes easier to get an audience if you're selling a show, people are at least aware of what it is. Absolutely, yes. And that's why our Christmas musicals, I mean, Katie and I are both big fans of, of the Gershwins and Irving Berlin and Cole Porter. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, because I'm directing, I don't exactly count myself as either young or new um i can do that so once a year i get to indulge in what i want to do <laughs> and i'll direct top hat or you know whatever it is uh and, and and we love doing that and in between um we've we've got a couple of producers who are now very well established um on the touring circuit and what have you who started at our place uh and and it's lovely to see them and and to uh uh, to think, oh yeah, they started at our place five years ago, and now look, they're tour number one UK tour. Uh, Are there any, any they, particular names that listeners will be? Well, aware? probably not that the that 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 you know that you would know or your listeners would know, because they're the producers and directors. I mean, apart from Cameron Mackintosh and what have you, producers and and mm. are not that well known in terms of names. Um, Katie Lipson, who. Um, has been producing at our place for a long time has has had several national tours uh, she did the Adams family last year um, and uh, and I think uh, well, I'm trying to think of Katie's other shows but she she's well known and, and yeah. has toured a lot and, and she certainly started and uh, another young man uh, a young man called Joe Hodges is coming back in the uh, spring and he's produced uh, four or five shows now and he's an aspiring young producer uh, and he will he, he will be hopefully back in the spring if we're allowed to be open in the spring uh, with a, a again an old show he's, he, he wants to come and do Shout which is a 60s style musical yeah. in the West End years ago uh, but it'll be Joe and it'll be a very young cast and, and he'll probably bring in a young designer and a young lighting designer and what have you um, so that's really what we like like to do. Are there, I mean, it's the, the, the theatre's well established now. Are there, are there particular highlights from over the decades of shows um, or moments or, or people that stand out? Well, I sp the highlights are always the shows that I've co-written or 
or device myself. Um, I'm not a writer, but I I like um, coordinating and coming up with an idea and then commissioning a writer to do it. Uh, and I, I worked a couple of times um, with a local writer, actually, that lives just on the way down to uh, near Crouch End, uh, Chris Burgess. Uh, and Chris and I wrote a thing called It's Only Make-Believe, which was a jukebox show. Uh, in other words, we used a lot of pop songs. Neither of us sort of really wanted to start composing brand new music. So we got a, a, a load of our favorite pop songs and put them in the show. And that, that's always been a favorite. Uh, and then I, I'm, what's, I'm what's known as a Titanorak. Um, so I, I love all things Titanic. Um, that's that is the second time you've referenced it in this interview yes i know it's always in my head i'm a fully paid up member of the british titanic society um and um we wrote uh on 2012 which was the 100th anniversary um we we wrote a play called iceberg right ahead uh and the um it, uh, it's nothing like any of the movies you will have ever seen uh, we stuck really true to exactly what happened. And our two leads, the two leading characters, were the two lookouts, um, Fred and Reg. And it was Fred Fleet who actually uttered the immortal words, iceberg right ahead. And they both survived. Um, so they, uh, they, they, you know, they had really good stories to, to base our play on. So uh, well, it was from the inquiries. So they were both interviewed right. at the American and the British inquiry. And all that information is readily available online. Uh, so we based our play on Fred and Reg uh, and, and we, uh, we did Iceberg right ahead. And then uh, just over the last two or three years, I've been working with uh, a young lady called Jenny Selway, Jennifer Selway, I'm sorry, uh, who's also a journalist. Uh, you can read her column every Sunday in the Sunday Express. Um, and uh, Jenny and I have uh, put together a few plays. Uh, we did um, a, a lovely play about Wallace Simpson. Uh, and then we did a play about a lady called Odette, Odette Churchill, who was a wartime French resistance leader. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then what else have we done? We did a farce last year. Um, I love Ray Cooney. You know, I'm a great fan of, of, of the sort of old farce style of Ray Cooney. And I wanted to to write something or put something together in the style of Ray Cooney, uh, and uh, Jenny Jenny is a great one with dialogue. I, I'm I'm a good editor, so Jenny writes a play and then I just hack it around, uh, um, and she wrote flat out, which was, uh, if I say so myself, a hilarious piece. Very much, you know, lots of windows, lots of doors, people coming in and out of doors, falling over the obligatory man in his in his <laughs> underwear. I mean, all that going on. Um, uh, and that flat out, and then I think well, the I best gonna, one. Yeah, go on. I was, I was just going to say, I was, I was thinking when you were talking about the Titanic that that must create staging challenges. But actually, if you're just concentrating on the two lookouts, it's probably relatively straightforward because I see well, a lot of lead between them. Um, funny you should say that. But w what we what we did, we um, we we had a multi-purpose set because we had the the lookout tower we built out of our lighting tower. So we we have a big lighting tower which which we can get up to the lights up in the, the top of the theatre. So we converted that into the lookout, the crow's nest of the ship. And in Act One, we built uh, what part of the deck um, uh, with the two levels, uh, uh, so we could reenact what was going on in the ship. And then we hit the iceberg at the interval. Um, obviously off stage and then in act two uh, we we actually made two replica lifeboats uh, and now they and they were in the detail was amazing obviously they weren't quite as big as the, the real titanic lifeboats um, and we had eight or nine characters which we split between the two boats uh, so we had two lifeboats on the stage so at the interval most of the ship decking disappeared and we brought we got the lifeboats out out and then act three we had a, a very short interval and act three was the inquiry and we 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 mixed the american and the english inquiry together uh, and as i say we we you know we just lifted a lot of the, the real words from the inquiry um so yeah it was it was a it was a staging um um challenge shall we say but again we had a young designer who came in we told them 
what we wanted and and that they, they yeah produced the goods it was uh, it was an enjoyable piece for me anyway to to direct so yeah no so quite ambitious and i, I was going to say and obviously moving on to to doing a fast with lots of doors and lots of windows as you put it also has its own challenges it's obviously something you like to do is the kind of physical side of the theatre presenting oh. having work backstage a lot Yes, absolutely. And, uh, and it's putting it all together is, and I'm sure any director, any producer will tell you that putting it all together is, is half, most of the fun of, of producing a show. Mm. Uh, and, and it all leads up to that first night. And then, all right, afterwards, we, it's one of the nice things about it is that, of course, um, yeah, as opposed to a one night thing, um, we've got six weeks. So I can, I can, you know, we can look at it the first few performances and change a little bit here. We've got that chance to do that leading up to press night when you guys come along and, and you know, tell mm -hmm. us what you think. Um, and then we, yeah, we can juggle with it a little bit. Um, but on Flat Out was a really interesting one because it was set in a flat in South Kensington. Um, and it was set in a, a sort of dilapidated flat, which was being done up. So we, we, had, we could see through the windows and we could see scaffolding on the outside. And I realized that fairly early on in our thought process, this flat needs to look and, and be solid enough that everyone will come into the auditorium and think, yes, that's a flat. So I, I, instead of using our regular set builders, who I'm sure could have done okay, I actually got someone in to build it whose job, whose job was to refurbish old flats um, and turn them into modern apartments. Um, so, uh, and, and the doors and the windows all fitted perfectly and they had to be very substantial because they were being slammed all the time. And I got a, I got a scaffolder to actually come in and put the proper scaffolding up so it looked as if you know, it was real. And so that it would hold up. But you, yeah. you say it was supposed to look, also look slightly dilapidated. So presumably, yeah. the, presumably yeah. the, yes. the craftsmen or the workmen came in, did their job, and they were, then you had to well, make it look dilapidated. Now, the dilapidation was down to the designer. So the guy came in and built the walls and the doors yeah. and the window frames and made sure that they all stood up. And then the designer comes in and actually puts peeling wallpaper up. <laughs> and when the when the guy who, came, who built the set came back to see it, oh, what have you done? Well, the designer, uh, it was her that, and, and that, again, a, a young designer who's worked at our place uh, several times and is, is getting on in the in the wonderful world of theatre. Um, but uh, yeah, and Emily made it look as if it hadn't been decorated for thirty years, which was part of the storyline um, to the uh, to the play. I mean, and the, to kind of continue the theme of the physical side of the theatre, the situation above the pub, how does that synergy work out? Well, we have, we have excellent owners now. I mean, Weatherspoons were fine, and everyone knows Weatherspoons. It's a brand. Um, I think that uh, the, the, the staff turnover at Weatherspoons occasionally became a problem um, because the managers changed quite often. And because it's a big chain, you know, they, I think they've got, well, at the time they had six, 700 pubs. Uh, and so they, you know, the managers would often get transferred from another pub and then they'd move on to a bigger pub in the Weatherspoon chain. So that was a little bit tricky, although we got on with them fine. I mean, um, and they uh, appreciated, um, we were a little bit unusual for Weatherspoons. Um, they had one other theatre in their 500 pubs, uh, which was down in Tunbridge Wells. Uh, and so it was a little bit unusual for them to have a theatre above the pub, and they thought it was quite quaint, and uh, I know the Weatherspoons in-house magazine used to like to feature us. Have you had anyone famous in lately? Can we have a picture, you know? Um, but anyway, they gave up the, the pub. Uh, they sold quite a lot of their small pubs about five years ago, uh, and it was, um, it, we had this transition period where we weren't quite sure what was going on. But the guys who bought it are called Urban Pubs, Urban Bars and Pubs. Uh, and they, they have been lovely, absolutely, because they're a small group. They're, they've got about 20, 20 odd pubs, 24 pubs or something around, all in London. Um, we, we've had the same manager for a couple of years now. Uh, David, um, we all sort of work together and I tell him when we're busy and he tells us when he's busy and um, yeah, it, it, and we see the directors. I mean, 
Tim Martin, who runs Weatherspoons, he came, he came once only in, in all those years, you know. Um, he didn't even see a show, you know. Uh, but with, um, you know, with urban pubs, they're, they're, uh, we, we know them. And one of the directors lives uh, in Highgate anyway. Um, oh, okay. So there's um, there's much more uh, much more synergy going on um, between us and the pub. I mean, we are a pub theatre. I mean, one of the things with the Society of Independent Theatres, we we deliberated over weeks about what to call the society because some of us are pub theatres, some of us are they call themselves fringe theatres, um, and then we realise we're all independent. Um, and that's one of the lovely things about SIT and the small theatres in London. We all run very differently. And um, it's, it's a society for venues under 300 seats. Uh, and the largest one is the Pleasance. And some of your listeners, I'm sure, have been to the Pleasance because uh, um, it's not, not too far away. Uh, and the, uh, it was actually the artistic director of the Pleasance who came up with SIT and let's call ourselves independent. I mean, the, the, um, the guys who run the Pleasants, um, they have got their venue in Edinburgh as well, which is quite famous. Um, yeah, but yeah. that's the only one they have in London. And all of us who run our theatres, we, that's the only theatre we've got. We are not a, nobody in the society is a chain. Um, and it, it's, I go to the other theatres and I love going to see them. Um, and they're all so very different. Uh, and that's wonderful. We at the smallest theatre, is there's a tiny little performance space behind a bookshop uh, near the old Vic, and they have th they have thirty seats, uh, the Calder Bookshop. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I hadn't heard that. No, I mean it's tiny, and they they do mainly do read throughs and you know, and new plays when they all sit around and, and read things. But um, uh, so that's the smallest one, and then at the other end of the scale, the Pleasant seats around two fifty, uh, and in between. Um, we have we have all different so we've got a lot of 70 80 seat theatres uh, and a lot of us talk to each other about different things and we get we got new seating at the gatehouse because someone in a, uh, a theatre over in southeast London said oh there's a college near us are throwing out their seats would you like some oh yeah great uh, all it cost us was a trans yeah we just had to pay for a truck to go over and get them um so all those sort of things happen within the society it's i mean there's such an important part of the fabric of london aren't there i mean i'm i'm in islington at the moment so quite near to the old red lion and the king's head and uh hen and chickens and as you say there's such a variety but also yeah. there's, there's these days there's so many performers around as well there's lots of kids going to drama school there's lots of young comedians around um so it, it's great that at the moment these places will obviously closed at the moment but are there i suppose this no, is I, a, um, yeah absolutely um i mean the the, the ones in, that you mentioned in islington i mean hen and chickens are, are, part, are members of the society uh oddly enough the king's uh the king's head have just rejoined they were members and uh, their membership lapsed. I don't know why, but anyway, uh, they're back in now. Um, and if you happen to pop into the old Red Lion, um, tell them it's about time they join. Um, <laughs> they, they were a big part of the FTN, um, uh, and um, I, we haven't really had a lot of contact with them. But they're yeah, they're in, it's, I've been there. It's a lovely little space, uh, and that's the thing with that. You know, they they're all lovely. I mean, they they're all quaint. Um, there's one or two new builds. I think the best new build small theatre is probably the new Diorama, um, which is just opposite Great Portland Street um, Station. Uh, and um, that's a, a very, it was, it was, there used to be, there was an old Diorama, which was knocked down because the British land built a huge office complex down there, you know, where, um, is it Santander, I think, are there, um, uh, on the, old, the site of the old Thames Television Studios. Right, yeah. And I think they were obliged to build a new space, which they did. And David, who runs it, runs a really nice little theatre there. They seat about 90, I believe. Um, uh, so, they, they, But they're all very different. I mean, one of the um, um, nice pub theatres is a Finborough uh, over in West London in Earl's Court. Um, and they, it's a bit strange because they're a pub theatre, but they've got no pub underneath because the pub underneath has been changing hands that many times. You're never quite sure if it's open or not. But still, the Finborough still keeps going. And they do some, you know, they, they do a lot of new stuff. They also quite like digging out plays that have, haven't been done for you know, 50 years. Uh, mm. 
and so that that's that's quite nice and as you say it's a great um it's a great opportunity for young people because especially coming out of the london drama schools uh they uh, they know about us and um, like Mountview that used to be in North London. I know they've moved now, but um, we used to get a lot, quite a lot of Mountview students coming to us because they knew we were there. And sometimes they would have friends in a show and they'd all come and, you, you know, watch shows. Uh, Central at Swiss Cottage. I mean, next door to your offices, aren't they? Um, uh, former offices, yeah. Former offices. I'm yeah. sorry. Yes. Um, yeah. So they know about us and, and again, it, it's not only actors, it is all the creative um, uh, element that they all have director's courses and lighting courses and, and all that sort of thing. And so people, what, one thing we love doing is bringing in work experience kids. I mean, sometimes from schools, we have local schools, they know that and we can, we can take one at a time. Um, and they, uh, especially in the summer months, June, July, uh, they come in and do work experience when they discover things that are not acting, that are involved with the theatre. I think, um, I mean, maybe we, at this stage, we should probably talk a bit about the elephant in the room, because obviously, like so many other industries, it's been a really difficult time for, for theatre, and still is, because um, of the restrictions still in place. I yeah, mean, absolutely. Experience at the Gage House and for the for the society. Well, I mean, I I I think that as I've it says on our website, you know, a few months years ago, the word COVID didn't exist, uh, and the word coronavirus, Corona, only existed as a fine brand of beer, um, and and we had just didn't have a clue that all this was going to happen, uh, and I I think we tend to instantly blame the government uh, for their uh, shambolic uh, sort of approach to trying to resurrect the arts. But on the other hand, they have no precedent to it. And I don't think dear old Boris signed up for all this in December when he won the election, um, because he hadn't probably heard of COVID at that stage. Uh, and I, I, I have a lot of sympathy for the, the civil service mm -hmm. and the government, because uh, they're, they're th they have to, they're making decisions instantly. And I know a lot of those decisions are annoying people. If you're abroad and suddenly they say, you've got to get back by 4am tomorrow morning, that's got to be very annoying. But if they didn't react to things, they get equally criticised, I'm sure. It's, it's, it's I, yeah, we, we, we've, we've had to suffer, I think, um, like every other industry. And because we are indoors and because... Uh, we are in the very nature of people sitting close proximity to each other. We were always going to be, you know, at the end of the line in terms of opening. I think I, I have a lot of sympathy for the music venues because that's even worse. And, and, you know, I like going to the odd gig and, and seeing bands and we have a friend who's plays in a band and I, I saw her um, in a pub in Islington about a month before lockdown and it was just great. The place was packed. We, we, you know, we were all standing there. I think uh, I put the average age up a little bit, but you know, we were all standing there, um, packed, and the music was great. And I really, and they, they've got no chance of opening. At least in our place, we can sit people down. And funnily enough, today, where I, I was this morning, we were just looking at the seating plan and seeing how we could do it. Um, so how many, how many that, do you have at the moment? Uh, well, we've got a, uh, for a regular, I mean, uh, cabaret is a bit different, but for a regular play, it's 122. Um, and and we, we've had a look. We're almost on half, we think, about 64 we could right. get in with social distancing. But I think our problem, and also the problem for a lot of theatres, is we don't know how people are going to book. So we might get people, you know, well, ring at two seats, we're a couple. Uh, four seats um, because we all live in the same household um, mm -hmm. and there's three of us um, and then we'll have someone oh I want to come on my own and that sort of screws up the the, the the seating plan when you've worked it out in twos or maybe a few fours so we're not quite sure still how to do it and we think we're going to have to play it by ear on each performance depending yeah. on how many pairs how many singles how many threes how many fours and then you'll go Oh, there's six of us in our house. We're all coming together. Can we sit together? 
you know. Um, so I think that's one of the problems of us reopening. I was, I was speaking to Catherine um, Ives from Lauderdale House the other day to get to give them a little plug because obviously they started doing a few. They're doing outdoor stuff, yeah. Mm. In the gardens, which has gone really well and uh, which is great. But I think that they found that, yes, it's a case of working it out as people come in and using the grids as they've got them to try and place strategically the best. But indoors, that must be a huge challenge. I mean, the mathematics of it, how many combinations must there be that you could... Well, that's do? right. And our seating is fixed, you see. So yeah. it, it's, you know, we can't... I mean, when we do a cabaret night, all right, we put some tables and chairs on the floor and we're thinking of doing a cabaret night because then we can specifically put tables and chairs out um but for a regular uh, a play a drama or a musical um no it's uh, we're still discussing it endlessly it's um it, one of the one of the things that i don't think anyone in our in the society or theater generally is happy with um is the way that the so-called recovery fund is being you know put out if you like we we've applied um, and one of the problems, of course, is that uh, the money was announced uh, nearly two months ago that the government was you know, giving us all 1.58 billion, uh, which is very nice. I, I thought for a minute it was going to be each, but then I realized that we couldn't share it. Uh, and then I think it was about 10 days ago when they actually opened uh, the floodgates for you could apply. And is a lot of hoops. Now, we've never, ever had an Arts Council grant at the Gatehouse. Uh, and uh, so for us, it was quite difficult to understand all the various hoops that you have to, to go through to apply. Um, but some of the, our theatres in, in SIT, they've had grants and it's easier for them. But then you find out uh, today was the day at midday. You had to have your, your application in. We, we put ours in on Wednesday. Um, and we've had the great, I must give them a, a, a nice, um, the guys at Camden, um, one of the arts officers, uh, Mike Chandler. I don't know if you've ever come across him, but he organized a workshop, um, online workshop last week about applying for grants. Right. Um, and that was very useful, very useful. Uh, uh, but and anyway... So your grant, is, is, that for, is that for a specific project or is it a grant for... Well, no, no, it's not a project. No, project grants are completely different. This is the, um, this is the recovery fund. Um, and uh, we've put in uh, for a certain amount of money to uh, help us through. Now, the dates that they've uh, asked us to um, can, uh, put into our form to say we, we'd like money for that is the 1st of October to the 31st of March. Uh, so we've had to try and forecast how much it will keep our, keep our need, how much we will need to keep the theatre going in those six months. Now, unfortunately, they're not going to actually give us the results of who gets the money until the 5th of October. Um, and so planning those six months is quite difficult because are we going to plan to get our, all our staff back and, you know, put on shows? We, we, it's impossible to... to, mm. to figure that so that is a little disappointing that the timing of the whole thing is um i mean if we get the grant it will be lovely if we don't get the grant we'll work something out i mean we've had a lot of support from locals i mean tremendous amount of support um we have patrons who are actually shareholders in our in our theater company um and we have supporters and we have a little support scheme called angels uh, and and so many people have donated and I think nearly all of the SIT theatres have had some sort of um, some sort of appeal. Yeah. There must be a real range of um, how much they've needed or how much at risk, you know, because let's be honest, some venues will be at risk of closure yeah, because of this. Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, we've had a 50% reduction in rent, so that's nice. Um, we've had, uh, of course, for everybody... Uh, the rates have been uh, wiped clean, so we don't have to pay rates till next April. So that's lovely. Um, we got we got ten thousand pounds for from the small business grant scheme, right? Um, and it doesn't matter that we're a theatre or we're a hairdresser. I mean, you know, it was a small business rather than a, a cultural thing. Uh, so that that really kept us going through from from well, we were closed down on March the sixteenth, and after that we had no income. And we haven't had any to date. Uh, it's also, you know, the knock-on effect is huge over all the people that supply us 
So, uh, you know, and we have uh, set builders, electricians, all the, all those sort of people that just supply us. Um, and, and it's not just us, of course, it's the, the whole industry. And you can imagine that um, my younger daughter's husband, he works in the West End, um, uh, the, the, the whole sort of outreach, if you like, of, of, of trades that are disrupted by theatres mm -hmm. not being open um, is, uh, and I talked to you earlier about, you know, the fact I was at sea. I mean, we also as a production company, we're involved in putting shows on board ships. And my older daughter, uh, she is a, a director and choreographer. Uh, she currently has uh, three shows on board um, uh, cruise ships that she's choreographed and well, one directed, two, three choreographed. And she was supposed to be rehearsing this month to put another show on another ship. And that uh, cruise industry has just gone mm. completely, that's even worse than ours. Um, there are hundreds of ships all anchored off Weymouth and places. Um, and I don't think anyone's going to get on a cruise ship again for at least another year. Um, so that was part of our business as well with, I say, uh, my elder daughter, Raki, she's, um, she's got nothing to, she is also supposed to be directing a, a national tour. Um, and that, that all came to a grinding halt. Um, and, uh, she, she directs and choreographs shows all over the place and nothing's, nothing's happening for her. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it has a lot of, um, uh, you know, tentacles, if you like the whole COVID thing. All right. The theaters are shut, but it also stretches out into, and I'm sure it's it's a bit like it's a bit like bars and cafes that are close to football grounds um you know they they've yeah. suffered uh and and so it, it has a big reach outreach effect so what's what's your feeling overall i mean this the 1.6 um billion will it presumably will come out as a huge list in october so there'll be a lot of um relieved people and some disappointed people mm. um but what's your feeling Presuming, am I making a big assumption that over Christmas we're going to be pretty much where we are now in terms of the rules to do with social distancing and what theatres can actually do, and that's going to remove quite a bit of income, isn't it? From, everything. I think, I yeah, I think for for I I feel very sorry for theatres like the Hackney Empire who traditionally at Christmas have a wonderful panto, and that that's probably I I've no I don't know anyone there I've no idea of the exact figures but. I bet that's a huge contribution to their profit uh, for the, for the whole year. Um, I know, you know, 50 years ago when I was at Windsor, uh, the Christmas panto really was, was financially a huge, a huge contributor. Mm. Um, now for us, it, it's, 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 it's not such, not such a big contribution. Um, and we've actually planned a Christmas show. It's very small scale. Um, and you know, it, it ain't going to be uh, 42nd street because we have to have social distancing backstage as well as in the audience. Of course, yeah. Um, so we have planned um, a, uh, a musical with four in the cast and two in the band. Um, and I can't say what it is because we haven't actually signed, until we know that we can do it, I haven't signed the contract. Um, but we, the reason we're doing that is because the dressing room will only take four people with social distancing. Um, I mean, five, well, five, actually, we could get in there, but I've got to put the musician somewhere as well. Uh, so we have two musicians um, and, and that's going to be our Christmas musical if we can get it together to open. Now, we are slightly dependent on getting our grant uh, because that will cover all the sort of other overheads. And I have to bring staff back. who are, We couldn't furlough the staff because they weren't full time. All our staff are freelance. Um, uh, so, but we have to bring them back. We have to, we have to do a huge amount of work within the theater to create like the extra exit we need. Now we need a, you know, one way system. Um, so we're putting, we have to uh, get the builders in and the electricians and blah, blah, blah. Uh, of it, the obvious things like sanitizers and face masks and perspex in the box office. So there's a lot of money to be spent to prepare the building for anti-COVID measures uh, and you know hopefully we'll have all that in place now if we um, if, if we're told on the 5th of October that we have the, have some money um, then it'll be October will be manic 
We'll have no shows, but it will be manic putting all that stuff in. Um, uh, in readiness, uh, we have to, we'll have to start rehearsing the Christmas show uh, the end of November. And uh, we have a, the first thing we're going to do, we, we're writing a play, as I uh, a lot earlier referred to Jenny Selway. Uh, and Jenny, I commissioned her to write a play about um, a, a, royal, a royal thing because we had a lot of success with Wallace. Oh, okay. uh, a lot of success with Odette. So stories about real people. Uh, and she is currently beavering away um, on, a, on a royal-themed uh, show. With, I said, you can only have four in the cast. Can, can you so, tell us who it is? Can you tell I us can't at the moment, no, because it's all... It's, 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 uh, but it will be very interesting. Right? Um, and, uh, if it, I throw it names at you, will you, will you nod or, or shake your head? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I mean, yeah, they won't be able to see it. Okay, well, we'll, we'll leave that. Yes, reel off, reel off some names. No, it's um, it's 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 someone who's not actually with us anymore. Um, but it uh, and um, it's Princess Margaret. I can tell you that. Uh, and so well, that we, yeah. So um, we're we're um, we're going to have a read through. That's going to be our test show to see if. Mm. Uh, it's not a show, it'll be what we call a rehearsed reading. So um, in sometime in November, uh, we will have a rehearsed reading of, um, uh, of what Jenny is writing. Just um, on a personal level, it must be really exciting to, to have the idea of actually any kind of performance back in there. Well, yeah, I mean, um, rehearsed readings are always fun as well. And given that this will be a test uh, to see if all our COVID safe apparatus is going to work and the system's going to work. And, um, and again, I've, I've, we've had to say it's a no interval show and that's going to be our Christmas show as well. Um, the garden suburb theater, the amateur group, I've told them if they want to come in um, again, they have to come in with a one act, no interval, maximum five in the cast show, which they're thinking about. Um, so it, it, it places a lot of restrictions. I mean, coronavirus, uh, places um, creative restrictions. Um, in, in, in this fact, as I've commissioned Jennifer, Jenny to write the, the show, uh, I've said to her, only got you, you know four in the cast. That's it, absolute maximum, um, because of backstage uh, social distancing. So it places creative restrictions as well as audience restrictions as well. But of course, um, creative restrictions can also sometimes be a benefit you can you can by setting yourself limits you can also um setting set restrictions which can open up creativity it can mean that you you challenge yourself to work within rules and presumably there'll be a bit of that in theater going forward oh yeah absolutely i'm sure i'm sure there will be um i think what we i don't i mean i've talked about it to other sitmen i mean what we don't want to do is just do another do 12 months of of solo shows I mean, it's a bit of an easy way out um, because in terms of staging, it's socially distant to have one or even two people on the stage. Um, that's fine. Uh, also, obviously, it doesn't cost as much because we haven't got as many actors to pay. Uh, so with a reduced seating, if we go down to 40% seating or 50% seating, we won't have the money to pay the actors. But if we've only got one actor or two actors, then perhaps we can do it. Um, if we don't get the grant, uh, then I think I'm probably going to have to go back to our appeal. Um, you know, we had an appeal to, uh, and we got, we, you know, they were, people were very generous. Oh, we need money to keep going through the summer, you know, um, and people were very generous. I think if we, if we, I would much rather the government pay us uh, some money to keep us going. And I hope they do. I think I've put in a good application but I'm sure hundreds of other people have also put in good applications as well. Um, and I, we just, we had no inkling at all about, um, I, the only remark that I, that I thought was a little bit pessimistic from our point of view was when Oliver Dowden said, we must make sure we keep the crown jewels of British theatre in place, which me, I'm thinking, yes, that means the Royal Opera House, the RSC, Stratford, you know, the globe, the places that employ a lot of people and attract the tourist money. And I'm thinking, are they going to get it all? Or are we as small theatres going to see any of the money? I have, I have no idea. I just don't know. Um, and I don't think anyone else knows at, at, at this moment. 
or just maybe in Oliver Dowden's head, the upstairs of the, the gatehouse is the crown jewels of English theatre. Well, <laughs> I'd, like to th I'd like to think so. We've had so many emails, you know, wishing us all the work, you know, wishing us well, and uh, we appreciate that, that people. We only hope we can get back on stage and entertain them once again. Well, we certainly wish uh, yourselves and all of the society's members well, and um, I'm sure things things will pick up for all the theatres. Um, it's been a pleasure to speak to you, um, John. Thanks, Andre. And it's been good. I mean, I, I mean, all I can uh, say to the sort of listeners is check the websites for news because it, it's difficult. It doesn't, you know, the news doesn't get out there because there's a million other things going on in the world, and I appreciate that. Um, and we put out, you know, if we if something's happening, we put it out on our website. If they want to know about other, I mean, the SIT website is really for the industry, but if people want to know where all the small theatres are in London. Um, it's sitgb.org, um, or just put it into Google uh, and, and, and check out where all the other venues are. And you might find, hey, wow, I've never been to the Broccoli Jack in SE99 or where, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, there, there are lots of small, so, so check them out. Um, upstairs of the gatehouse.com is easy to remember. And we will put up news on there of uh, of any you know at the moment we very ambiguously say we will reopen in the autumn that gives us a big a big date stretch but we will try and put it up there um about what's what's going to happen and uh, and just once again thanks to everybody for all their support So thank you so much to John for joining us. We wish Upstairs at the Gatehouse all the best. And don't forget to subscribe and like the Ham and High podcast.